He is risen. He is risen indeed. If you're our guest, let me welcome you. What we, are, what we have been doing the last two weeks is, is been looking at both the power and the picture of the gospel. Uh, last week we looked at the, the power and the picture of the cross and then we celebrated communion. Uh, we celebrate communion, the Lord's Supper, every week here and that's why it's set again. Uh, just so you know and are prepared for that, if you are a believer in Christ... Uh, you are welcome to the tables, and we will celebrate that after our, first, our song right after I preach. And you can just come up here and get that and take that at your seat um, anytime you're ready. And, and so, but s- somebody may be here today, and in all of this, uh, somebody's dying and somebody's rising might sound a little bit strange. So what you're experiencing is, is the church of Jesus Christ. So we, we gather every week and celebrate what we're celebrating specifically today, which is the resurrection. That's why Christians um, worship on Sunday, because it was the day our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ rose again. Uh, but even bigger in, in understanding this, Christianity is a worldview. It answers questions that everybody asks. Even those who suppress it seek to answer questions about this brief existence we call life. You may not ask them this way. Uh, Who am I? Why am I here? What in the world is wrong with this world that we live in? And how can anything be done to fix it? Christianity answers those questions with what we call the gospel, and ask it in different ways or live it out in different ways, you are still seeking the answer to these fundamental questions about what life is really about. And so last week and this week, we began to see the Christian answer. The Christian answer begins that we are made as precious image bearers of God that chose sin and self over God and so broke our relationship. But God had a plan, one plan, to redeem from a God-hating world a people, a family, if you will. This plan involves sending his son, his only son, to live a life that we should have lived, but we cannot, to take our penalty in his death, Because you see, whether it's in this life, in the temporal, or in the spiritual, sinning against someone creates a debt. It it creates also a separation, a relationship issue. We know this. We live in relationships with other people. And these two things have to be dealt with if reconciliation is ever to happen. The cross and the resurrection then were God's plan to pay the debt, to remove the, what caused the separation, to provide a, a relationship again between man and his God for it to be restored once and for all. A guy named George Ladd working and commenting on John chapter 10 verses 11 and 18 said this about these verses. He says, the construction in the second sentence of of John 10 
is a construction of purpose. Listen to what he said. So Jesus said, I lay down my life in order that I may take it up again. This indicates that the resurrection is not a mere event following Jesus' death, but the essential completion of his death. Resurrection is the purpose of his death. And so that's why we celebrate it today. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the yes and amen of all the promises that God has given his people. That's why we're going to look at just a brief survey, and it is brief, of the resurrection. And then we're going to look at the picture of the resurrection, that is baptism, by celebrating it this morning. So I changed, if you were here last week, I had seven, a sevenfold power of the resurrection. I, I reduced it this morning, you're welcome, to three. But I want to look at some of the verses that we looked at last week. So let's start in Acts, Acts 2, 23. That's where we began last week. I want to begin the same way. The death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ has to be understood as, as two inseparable aspects of the gospel. Let me say this too. I'm going to do something different today. And if, if it pops up on the screen, I'm reading... Every passage from the New Living Translation. What I felt like the Lord wanted me to do is just an easier to understand version today, and it made an impact on me, and I hope it'll make an impact on you. So just so you know, if you're reading, you're sitting there going, that sounds a little bit different than what I'm reading. That, that's the reason. I first want you to see the resurrection proved Jesus' power over death. Over death. Listen, you know this is true. Death haunts us all. Death, death causes fear in the strongest of people. This is the gospel. Jesus' resurrection proved Jesus' power over it. Acts 2.23, remember, remember, it's important. Jesus' death wasn't something that we contrived. Jesus' death is a historical event bore witness to by friend and foe. It happened on the Jewish holiday Passover, 50 days later, in the town that crucified him, with his tomb down the street, Peter stood up on Pentecost and said this, Acts 2, 23, but God knew what would happen. And his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of the lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life. For death could not keep him in its grip. God raised him. He raised him. This verse said he released him. Charles Hodge said the importance of Christ's resurrection arises from the circumstance that all his claims and the success of his work rest on the fact that he rose again from the dead. Listen, if he rose again, the gospel is true. If he did not rise, it is false. If he rose, he is the Son of God, equal with the Father, God manifest in the flesh, the Messiah predicted by the prophets, the prophet, the priest, the king of his people. His sacrifice has been accepted as a satisfaction to divine justice and his blood as a ransom for many. All of that depends on this 
actually happened. God raised him. That word means that he loosed him. He untied him from the pangs. The ESV calls it the pangs. Here in the New Living Translation, it says horrors. Everybody who's ever had a child understands what that word means because that's what it means. Birth pains. Bad pain. That's, what it's, that's literally what it means. Great pain. It wasn't possible. New Living Translation said it cannot it did not have death. It did not have the ability to hold Jesus Christ. This points to his divinity. It proves his divinity. He wasn't just a man. He was the very son of God. Death could not hold him. It wasn't powerful enough to arrest him. Hebrews 2.14 says this. So clear. Because... God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood. The Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could He die. And only by dying could He break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Now that's straightforward. The resurrection defeated death by the by defeating death, he brought something to put in its place. And that something is life. He brings life. Romans 5, 9, another verse we looked at last week with the cross, says this, again, New Living Translation. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. Verse 10 for since our friendship with God was restored by the death of His Son while we were still enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of His Son. So now we rejoice in our wonderful news, new relationship with God, because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. That's the gospel, brothers and sisters. We who are enemies are now friends. We who once was God-hating are now family. It took something for that to happen. Somebody had to pay the debt of our sin. Only Christ could do that. Only God could do that. So God became man. He died in our place. The resurrection gives us confidence now that we no longer have to worry about how, how God or, or anybody else feels about me. He has spoken it once and for all in the resurrection of His Son. Romans 6, 3 begins to get at this picture, this picture of a new life that He puts in the place of death. Romans 6, 3 says, Or have you forgotten... That when we were joined with Christ in baptism, we joined him in his death. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. That's life now. This life now changes everything. The Bible knows nothing of this contrived discussion that we all have to have about race. This human construct 
of you're white and you're black and all of these different things, the Bible says that we came from one blood, one person named Adam, and that all of us have the same problem, and we were rescued by one blood, the better Adam, and his name is Jesus. And so there's no point of reference amongst Christians. There should not be, and there is not truly in anyone that's born again for someone who lifts up one and steps on somebody else. Because we all came from Adam, we're all rescued by the second Adam, and so we live a new life. It changes everything. It changes everything. It's not only this life. It, it deals with that gnawing fear of what's in the future. 1 Corinthians 15 and 42 says, It is in the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They are buried as a natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. Listen, this is the, this is the presupposition of the Christian worldview. First, just as there are natural bodies... There are also spiritual bodies. And if that's the truth, there must be an answer for what happens to these spiritual bodies once we die. Christian worldview gives us that. Jesus' resurrection proves death is defeated. Life is given. This life is eternal. Truly, this life is not merely the life we live. It is a person that we repent of and put our faith in named Jesus. The resurrection proves then that Jesus is our Lord and leader. He's our Lord and leader. Now go to Acts 5, another passage we looked at last week. Acts 5.30. Acts 5.30. Verse 30 says, The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on a cross. Then God put him in a place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior. He did this so people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit who is given by God to those who obey him. He is, you see, verse 31, a savior. A savior, that just means rescuer. In a world without soul-satisfying answers, Jesus steps forward. Jesus came. He doesn't expect you to climb some mountain of your good works and to work your way. Jesus came to you. He is the Savior, but make no mistake, He is Lord. He is Lord. Ephesians 1 verse 19 says this, I also pray that you will understand. I have prayed this for you this week. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe Him. This is the same power that raised Christ from the dead and seated Him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realm. And now He is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ. 
and have made him the head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body, and he is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. The resurrection proves Jesus is Lord of everything. Everything. He's Lord of you. He's Lord of me. He's Lord of everything out there and everything that we cannot see. He is Lord. He is leader. The NLT calls him prince. Leader's probably better here. It means the founding leader. He is the originator. Hebrews 12 Two, speaking of enduring faithfully, says we do this, this enduring, this persevering, by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and now is seated at the place of honor beside God's throne. He is the founder. He started it. He perfects it. He's going to finish it. The resurrection proves death is defeated. Life is offered. Jesus is the only Lord and Savior, but also it provides purpose. It proves that life has a purpose, that you have a purpose, and it gives us those who believe a promise. Luke 24. Luke 24 and verse 44. Luke 24, 44. It says, Then he said, It's Jesus. Then Jesus said, When I was with you before, I told you everything written about me. In the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand scriptures. Then he said, Yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. And it was also written that that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of its name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of these things. He gives us, through the resurrection, a proclaimed purpose. The purpose is handed to us with this unchanging gospel. We will know nothing in our life, but Jesus Christ and Him crucified, ascended, coming again. We are redeemed from death to life to live this life with a purpose. Not in apathy. This purpose is not taken away. If something physically happens to me, I still have this purpose. Whatever the physical impairment, whatever the mental impairment, whatever the trauma, whatever the diagnosis, I have a purpose. And this purpose is to proclaim this unchanging gospel that brought me from death to life. From apathy, from fatalism, where it doesn't matter, nothing in this life matters. We're just like the forest gump feather that sort of floats along to a person that God created with a purpose that makes all the difference in the world of how we live tomorrow gives us a purpose he gives us a promise the promise in verse 49 is I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised 
Acts 1.8 says it's the same way, a little bit different, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses from here where you live, from your neighbors to the nations. So we're here this morning. And as a church, we have this opportunity. It's why we celebrate communion uh, every week. Do it every quarter. Uh, No, no. We're going to do it every time we gather. We're going to celebrate on Sunday so we can we can always celebrate the resurrection, and we're going to always remember the death of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We're going to celebrate both pictures today. In just a minute, when we sing, I'm going to open the tables up, and we're going to come and and take communion as as we sing. And then after that, I'm going to go to the waters, and we're going to baptize too. But before we baptize, I want you to understand why we do what we do. I want you to understand the picture of the resurrection. I have never seen. If if I could repent for the sins of other people, for the sins of preachers, I would. (laughs) I can't. You know, somebody's got to repent for their own mess. But there is so much misteaching out here. On baptism, it leaves people just confused. Baptism is a picture displayed by both the church and a confessing believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Baptism does not save. Baptism does not free. Baptism does not forgive. Baptism does not bring some mystical power. This is city water in a feed trough I bought from Tractor Supply. Amen? But it is about obedience. Listen to this. I I recommend this little book called Church Basics, Understanding Baptism. By the way, every candidate for baptism studied this along with me. Baptism is a church's act of affirming and portraying a believer's union with Christ by immersing him or her in water, and a believer's act of publicly committing him or herself to Christ and his people, thereby uniting a believer to the church and marking off him or her from the world. So that's what I want us to see today. Baptism pictures God bringing us into Christ. It brings us into Christ. Colossians 2, 11 says, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised. Not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with Him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. It's a picture. Baptism is, as we've, said, we've talked about, a physical picture of a spiritual reality. It is a public declaration that we are with Christ no matter the cross. Our lives now are forever bound up with Christ. Matter of fact, listen to Galatians 3, 27. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. 
It's exactly what it means, have put on. It means to dress. God has dressed us in the righteousness of his very son. The gospel is given. Spiritual awakening has happened. Repentance and faith has been our response in Christ alone. And then we take the first step in our sanctification, our growth into being like Christ. And that first step is baptism. Have you made it? True biblical baptism happens after someone repents and comes to faith. Not before. Anything before is not biblical baptism. Baptism pictures God bringing us into Christ and God bringing us into his church. Colossians 1.18 said, Christ is also the head of the church, which is the body. He is the beginning, supreme over all, who rise from the dead. So he is the first in everything. He is the head of his church. Jesus Christ was the beginning of something new and something better, namely his church. His church. You don't go off with your friend to some creek and get and dunk each other in the water. This has been given to the church as a picture of not only being brought into Christ, being brought into his church. Baptism pictures us coming into Christ, coming into the church, but it also pictures God separating us, marking us off, as it will, from the world. There's not a better passage, is it? 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And so, baptism is not the removing of the old. Baptism is not the bringing of the new. Baptism is a picture that God has already removed the old and then is bringing in the new and he's bringing it in day by day until one day we see him face to face. Baptism is a public declaration by a person and the church. This person has been separated from the world and now has a family and no matter what they've been through, no matter what they will go through, they have not only Christ, but they have a family called the church that will be there for them, to love them, to care them, and even to correct them. That's what it means to be in Christ. That's what it means to be baptized. John eight twelve, Jesus said this, so Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. This is the question for us today. Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ alone? You're still walking in darkness, wondering around what life is all about. Do you know where your life is leading? Or better ask, do you know who's leading your life? 
Let's pray. Lord, uh, on this wonderful Easter morning, where, Lord, it has been raining for several days, and we got up and the rain has stopped. Little crisp coldness in the air today. And we just wonder what it was like that first Easter morning, Lord. And so, Lord, we call out to you in this time. First, for those who might be here that don't know you, Lord, whatever is going through their minds, Lord, we do pray for them diligently as we have been all week and sometimes for years that they would know you, that they might know you. And even more important, that you would know them. And so, Lord, we pray for repentance and faith now, even as we pray, even as we sing. But, Lord, we as the redeemed desire to, to come to the tables. God, you gave us this. Your son set the model for this. When we come, Lord, we remember that we could not save ourselves. We could not fix our situation. We could not climb the mountain. So, Lord, we celebrate when we come to the tables that your son came to us. And that I should have been able to live a perfect life, but I can't. And I didn't. And none of us do. So we thank you that your son did. We come to the tables acknowledging that he lived a perfect life, that he stood in our place, so we're paying the debt that sin created. Restoring us back to a relationship that can never be taken away. So, Lord, we renew ourselves at the table, commit ourselves afresh with grateful hearts, thanksgiving, that you are a God who cares about our individual lives and our corporate lives. So now, Lord, we come to you as your children, knowing that all have sinned, Lord, we have. Cannot get in my car and even get home today without doing it. And so, Lord, I just ask you, Lord, as my father and as believers in the room, as a father, Lord, that you would forgive us. so that we may come to the table with a pure heart and a pure minds and so celebrate you. Have your way in this service, Lord. May your spirit move as we celebrate these wonderful pictures of the Lord's Supper and baptism that you gave your church. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.